welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Violent scenes play out in French-controlled Guadeloupe amid protests against COVID vaccination. Caribbean Hotel Association urges adoption of U.S.-U.K. COVID isolation rules. Guyana's Oh My boasts of $3 billion gold fine. West Indies Petroleum new owner of Lime Tree under scrutiny in home country. Barbados, more than 100 candidates nominated to contest January 19th election. Puerto Rico's economy shows signs of improvement in 2021. Economic growth projected to accelerate across Monetary Union of Curacao and St. Martin in 2022. And fans at International Cricket Council U19 World Cup unlikely. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, January 16th. We start our report today in Guadeloupe. Bahamanews.net reports that healthcare workers protesting against mandatory vaccinations for medical staff in the French Caribbean country of Guadeloupe have beaten up the director of a local hospital and torn clothes off his deputy. According to local media, the incident happened on Tuesday and involved around 50 members of the healthcare workers union. Gabby Claver, general secretary of the trade union, Union section said they had gathered outside the University Hospital of Guadeloupe to get their money back. Earlier medical staff who had failed to comply with the mandate were subjected to pay deductions. Unvaccinated healthcare professionals were also set to be suspended after the December 31st deadline set by authorities. The hospital issued a statement saying that the protesters had blocked the entrance, trapping the medical facilities director and several other personnel inside for a few hours. When they attempted to leave the building with a police escort, protesters reportedly kicked the director in the ribs and then delivered a powerful headbutt and nearly knocked him out. One of his deputies had his clothes torn off. Demonstrators also have seriously damaged a vehicle belonging to a hospital official. The statement concluded by condemning violence and intimidation against hospital staff and pointing out that 95% of workers at the facility have received the COVID vaccine. The attack coincided with a press conference that was being held by groups opposing vaccine mandates and the so-called health pass. Guadeloupe, which is a French overseas region in the southeastern part of the Caribbean Sea has been gripped by protests against COVID vaccine mandates since November last year. Demonstrations have frequently descended into rioting. France even had to send police reinforcements to the territory. However, the protest shows no signs of abating, with anti-mandate activists storming the local legislature in late December. What started off as demonstrations against vaccine mandates and other COVID measures has since ballooned into a movement with a broader spectrum of demands, including access to clean drinking water, better infrastructure, more employment and wage increases.
The St. Kitts Nevis Observer reports that the Caribbean Hotel and Tourism Association has urged the region's government leaders to align with the UK and the US in reducing its isolation periods for travelers. In a letter to the Prime Minister Gaston Brown of Antigua and Barbuda, Caribbean Hotel and Tourism Association President Nicola Madden Gregg noted that both the UK and the US are reducing isolation periods. In a letter to Prime Minister Gaston of Antigua and Barbuda, outgoing chairman of CARICOM, Caribbean Hotel and Association President Nicola Madden Gregg called for the region's 14-day isolation requirement for those who tested positive to be reduced to seven days. The Caribbean Hotel and Tourism Association claims the data no longer substantiates a 14-day quarantine period as it presents unnecessary financial and personal hardship to residents, visitors, destinations, and companies, and increasingly will deter travel. Matt and Greg said that although the Omicron variant is highly contagious, it has caused only a low level of severe illnesses, requiring hospital a low death rate, and has proven to be particularly less virulent for those who are vaccinated. According to the faster recovery rates justified moves by the British and American governments to reduce the isolation period, she said. She said there is continued confusion in the marketplace due to the varying travel requirements by individual Caribbean governments, which, according to Matt and Greg, act as a deterrent for arrivals. Crider News reports that recent appraisals resulted by Oh My Gold Mines in Guyana suggest that together with Fennel Historical Mineral Resource and other known deposits in the locale, there is great potential to rebuild Oh My into a multi-million ounce project. The Oh My Gold Mines technical team held an exploration meeting at the site in Guyana where geologists reviewed the results and worked with CEO Elaine Ellingham and others to prioritize targets and develop plans for the 2022 exploration program. This according to President and Chief Executive Officer of Oh My Gold Mines in Guyana Limited, Elaine Allingham, who on Tuesday last announced a very significant milestone for Oh My Gold, a mineral resource of over 1.6 million ounces of gold. The deposit, she said, was found at its Wenot deposit and gives us a very solid base from which to expand the property's total potential gold resources. According to Ellingham, not only is the Wenot deposit open along strike and at depth, it also located approximately 400 meters south of the pass producing fennel, open pit that hosts a significant gold mineral resource that also remains open at depth. To this end, she reminded that Oh My Gold Mines produced over 3.7 million ounces of gold between 1993 and 2005. Since it operated and was shut down during the sub-US $400 ounce gold mine price environment, known extensions to the Wenot and Fennel open pits were not pursued. Oh My Gold Mines Corp, through its wholly owned subsidiary, 
Avalon Gold Exploration Inc. holds a 100% interest in the Omai Prospect License, covering some 4,590 acres, including the past producing Omai Gold Mine and a 100% interest in the adjoining Eastern Flats Mining Permits, covering 1,519 acres. Once South America's largest producing gold mine, Omai produced over 3.7 million ounces of gold between 1993 and 2005. Mining ceased at a time when the average price for gold was less than $400 per ounce, leaving significant drill mining resources untapped and prime exploration targets untested. According to Omai, the company's short-term priorities are to verify and expand the known mineral resources while advancing exploration on key targets, providing a solid opportunity to create significant value for all stakeholders. According to Cry to News report, though its return to Guyana was met with high praise by some, the prospect of huge investments and job creation for Guyanese, Omai over two decades, had exploited Guyana and its resources and caused considerable damage to the environment. Added to that, in 1993, the company commenced actual extraction of gold, and during its 24-year run, the company extracted some 3.7 million ounces, but only paid 5% of that in royalties to Guyana. The Virgin Islands Consortium reports that the tumultuous auction process for St. Croix refinery is settled for now, with Jamaica-based West Indies Petroleum snatching the prize from the grass of St. Croix Energy, the firm previously declared winners. The move came after bids closed on November 18th with St. Croix Energy's $57 million offering coming out on top. In early December, Lime Tree filed a motion to reopen the auction proceeding a day before the final sale date as a new bid had come in. West Indies Petroleum was offering $62 million all told. The West Indies Petroleum bid was the second matter to challenge the outcome of the auction, as a few days before, a separate firm had argued that its bid was better than the deal with St. Croix Energy. During the hearing on December 21st, West Indies Petroleum CEO Charles Chambers admitted that the company did not have the $30 million cash it said it had on December 5th, which is one of the main reasons the bankruptcy court judge approved the motion to reopen the auction. The court also saw documentary evidence to suggest that West Indies Petroleum was only worth roughly $8 million in December 2020. Additionally, the documents showed a company whose debt-to-equity ratio is considered risky, with razor-thin profit margins and a low return on assets. There are also numerous loan defaults on the books, raising questions about the organization's ability to finance over $60 million needed to meet its commitment to Lime Tree. In addition to questions over West Indies Petroleum's internal financial health, 
A brewing storm in Jamaica over the company's domestic operations could raise additional concerns about its ability to navigate a complex acquisition. Jamaican press for the past 90 days or so reported on a troubling report from Auditor General Pamela Monroe Ellis, which was submitted to the House of Representatives in Jamaica in mid-November. In it, she documented a series of lapses and irregularities surrounding the movement of fuel through the country's special economic zone by an entity named in the report as Bunker Fuel Operator 1. Because the Office of the Auditor General is only empowered to conduct oversight investigations on state agencies, the special audit report did not identify the company it referred to as Bunker Fuel Operator 1. However, according to the consortium article, reliable information received makes the connection. Bunker Fuel Operator 1 is West Indies Petroleum. Meanwhile, Syncroy Energy has reportedly filed an appeal with the Texas Bankruptcy Court. All this as an end-of-January deadline for West Indies Petroleum to finalize the sale quickly approaches. The St. Kitts Nevis Observer reports that Barbados's two major political parties have nominated 60 candidates to contest the January 19th SNAP general elections announced by Prime Minister Mia Motley last week. The supervisor of elections said Monday's nomination day went smoothly, and electoral officials said that apart from the ruling Barbados Labor Party and the opposition Democratic Labor Party, candidates representing five other political parties and nine independents will contest the elections. They said a total of 108 candidates will vie for 30 seats in the parliament. In the last general election, the Barbados Labor Party won all 30 seats, crushing the then Democratic Labor Party government. But one Barbados Labor Party member, Bishop Joseph Adderley, crossed the floor to become opposition leader and is leading a coalition, Alliance Party for Progress, into the election. Alliance Party for Progress is contesting 20 seats he told reporters that regardless of the outcome of the polls, the country needs a strong opposition in parliament. Change this government, or if you feel satisfied with what they are doing, make sure that the opposition in the parliament, which has been doing its job, is strengthened, he added. Both Prime Minister Motley and the Democratic Labor Party leader, Verla de Pisa, said they are confident of victory. The Weekly Journal reports that Economic Development Bank President Luis Alimani Gonzalez announced last week several positive economic indicators pointed to an improvement of Puerto Rico's economy during the 2021 year, despite the great losses caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The announcement was made through the Center for Economic Studies, an entity created under his administration. Despite some signs of fragility due to the restrictive measures that have been ordered 
to contain the spread of the coronavirus. The business sector shows a 23.6% increase in retail sales during the first 10 months of 2021, or $30.3 billion when compared to the same period in 2022. Also, sales tax revenues reflected a similar pattern since they increased 9.5% during the same period, totaling more than $2 billion. Nevertheless, revenues in the area are 16.1% less than those of 2019. Similarly, jobs in the business sector increased by 6.9% during the first 11 months of 2021 versus what was reported in 2020. Still, the sector has not recovered to the same employment levels as that prior to the pandemic. Meanwhile, the manufacturing sector continued with its upward trend, registering an increase of 5.5% in numbers of employees for a total of 77,900 salary jobs within the January to November 2021 period. As presented in the economic summary prepared by the Economic Development Bank, this variable has been growing year on year for 15 consecutive months, largely due to an increase in the production of medicines and medical equipment in areas close to the United States. The Economic Development Bank's Economic Activity Index, although it suffered a 1.7% loss during fiscal year 2020, experienced an increase of 2.8% between January and November 2021. Puerto Rico's economy faces many challenges, but despite all those challenges, we managed to reach encouraging indicators. We began working since day one at the Economic Development Bank to facilitate this economic growth. And in 2022, we will continue to fight with the same spirit we did before in favor of Puerto Rico's entrepreneurs, Alemani Gonzalez concluded. St. Martin Island Times reports that the Monetary Union of Curaçao and St. Martin experienced moderate growth in 2021, following an unprecedented contraction in 2020 because of the COVID-19 pandemic. According to estimates of the Central Bank of Curaçao and St. Vincent, Real GDP grew by 4% in St. Martin, while Curaçao recorded a milder expansion of 1.7% as the country went into a six-week lockdown in March to April 2021 due to a surge in COVID-19 cases. Looking forward, economic growth is projected to accelerate across the monetary union in 2022, with real GDP increasing by 6.6% in Curaçao and 14.6% in St. Martin. This recovery is, however, surrounded by high uncertainty, of which the main downside risk is the emergence of new COVID-19 variants combined with travel restrictions that could dampen the further recovery of tourism activities in Curaçao and St. Martin. Warren Central Bank Van Curaçao and St. Martin President Richard Dornbosch in the Central Bank's second quarter bulletin of 2021. In 2022, both countries will benefit from a robust recovery of tourism activities 
albeit still below pre-pandemic levels, and increased private investments, Dorbnash explained. In Curacao, construction projects in the tourism, real estate, and utility sectors are the main contributors to the increase in investments. In St. Martin, the reconstruction of the airport in particular will support the rise in private investments. Inflation is expected to ease in both Curacao and St. Martin to 2.8% and 3.4% respectively, as the surge in international oil and non-oil commodity prices in 2021 is expected to be transitory, he added. Dorbnash explained that besides the emergence of new COVID-19 variants combined with travel restrictions, the implementation of a reform package that the countries agreed with Netherlands poses a risk to the 2022 outlook. Dorbnash also mentioned that for Curacao specifically, the future of the refinery is an upside risk to the outlook. If activities at the refinery would restart in 2022 after a strategic partner is found, it would result in higher real GDP growth. Meanwhile, for St. Martin, delays in the implementation of reconstruction projects, particularly the airport, prolonged social unrest in front St. Martin, and a strong hurricane season could affect its real GDP expansion in 2022, he added. The complete text of the report by the president and the second quarter bulletin of 2021 can be viewed on the central bank. Van Curacao and St. Martin website at www.centralbank.cw under publications. Barbados Today reports that one of the unions representing former Liet workers has made a last-ditch impassioned plea to Barbados to summon an emergency meeting with other shareholder governments to conclude a severance pay package for all terminated employees. Chairman of the Leeward Island Airline Pilots Association, Patterson Thompson, said Tuesday his union continues to wait for a response from the Barbados government to two letters requesting a meeting to discuss the plight of the workers who have been on the breadline for the past 21 months. Thompson acknowledged that general election slated for January 19 in Barbados would now further delay any chances of talks being held to conclude a plan to pay the struggling ex-Liat employees their legal entitlements. But we are still struggling. All the Liat workers are 21 months into having no severance at all, no end in sight to the plight, and it's a very difficult time to live, he said. The Leeward Island Airline Pilots Association chairman dismissed any notion that an early resolution to the payout could be attributed to the decision by Antigua and Barbuda Prime Minister Gaston Brown to place the St. John-based airline under court-sanctioned administration. He contended in any case, the other shareholders, Barbados, St. Vincent and the Grenadines and Dominica, could have intervened and stopped the initiative by Antigua. Our severance should not be a political issue, and it should not be a divisive one. We have given a lot to the region. People have given their whole life, 42 years, 20 years, 30 years, 35 years, 
and we are still waiting, he lamented. Thompson said the offer by the Antigua government of a compassionate payment of half of the severance and the advance of $2,000 per month by Barbados to its nationals have not gone far enough to satisfy the dire financial problems of the workers. The initiatives of the Barbados government and the Antigua government do not deal with it conclusively. They do not deal with the situation long term and we need help, he pleaded. Hundreds of former Liat employees are owed about 80 million EC or 30 million U.S. dollars in severance payments. The Virgin Islands Free Press reports that India opened its embassy in the Dominican Republic on January 1, 2022, with the arrival of the second secretary, Arup Saha, in the capital. The newly launched Twitter handled by the Indian Embassy tweeted the news of the opening of the Indian Embassy and the meeting of the Indian diplomat with senior officials of the Dominican Republic. Ruma Abajani, Joint Secretary in the MEA, is taking over as the new Indian ambassador in the Dominican Republic this month. And finally, Trinidad and Tobago Newsday reports that Instar of Sports and Community Development, Shamfa Kujo, said, At this time, no fans will be allowed to attend matches in the 2022 International Cricket Council under 19 World Cup. The tournament will be held in the West Indies from January 19 to February 5th. Matches will be held in Trinidad, St. Kitts, Guyana, and Antigua. Three venues will be used in Trinidad for matches, including Queens Park Oval, Brian Laura Cricket Academy, and Diego Martin Sporting Complex. Trinidad and Tobago, like the rest of the world, continues to battle the COVID-19 pandemic. Cujo said the Cricket West Indies arrangement and the International Cricket Council arrangement is that we wouldn't have spectators due to the whole COVID situation that was the arrangement. Cujo knows people are eager to attend matches, but efforts must be made to keep everyone safe, including the players. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, January 6th. I'm Keisha Wallace. Thank you for choosing Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup as your source for Caribbean-centered news right here Monday through Friday. Be sure to spread the word to family, friends, and associates. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Now, Meta.